0: Mormon Stories podcast depends entirely upon the voluntary contributions of you, its listeners. To keep Mormon Stories alive, please consider donating today at mormonstories.org. To make a contribution to Mormon Stories, just click on the Make a Donation button at the top right of the mormonstories.org website. Also, please help us promote Mormon Stories via dig.com and sustained.org. For all this and more, please check out mormonstories.org. And thank you for listening. In the final portion of our five-part interview with Anne Wilde, Mormon fundamentalist and polygamist, Anne shares with us her views on a plethora of topics, including the Adam-God theory, blood atonement, blacks in the priesthood, feminism, and homosexuality. She also discusses her view of the future, both for Mormon fundamentalism and the world. And in my favorite part of the entire series, Anne concludes by sharing with us her testimony. Your story, today on Mormon Stories. Okay, so let's turn um, to a discussion a bit about um, your beliefs and views relative to, to the mainstream LDS church and kind of, kind of in close on, on talking about some of these issues. Um, to begin with, there are a lot of, um, well, let me let me ask this first. What are the, if you had to enumerate, and you've done this a bit, if you had to enumerate the, the main eternal truths or principles that, that a fundamentalist sort of feels really should not have been changed, that were really important and crucial, that have been either watered down or taken away. Tell, tell us what those are.
1: Well, I think we discussed some of them earlier, and you know, there's 95 of them at least that we've gone through. But I would say probably the most important, and I'm not saying that they should have kept them as a church, um, that was a democratic decision or you know, a decision that came as a result of the opinions of most of the people in the church that they didn't want to believe them anymore or practice them. So I would say probably the top three would be the distinctions between a fundamentalist Mormon and the LDS church teachings today, polygamy, Adam-God doctrine, and the kingdom of God. Talk about, each, talk uh, about uh, the United thing. Order. Mm-hmm. United, well, yeah, probably ought to include United Order Law of Consecration in there. So um, talk about which one?
0: Why Why Adam God? Well, tell us what that belief is and why you think that's important.
1: Okay. Um, the uh, little couplet that says, As God is, man may become. As man is, God once was. And that, to me, is uh, encapsulated the Adam-God doctrine, meaning that if man lives a worthy life, obeys all the commandments, I realize that nobody's perfect, but if they fulfill the requirements that they can become a god. Adam apparently did that. On his world, he lived and kept the commandments sufficient so that he qualified for becoming a god. One of those requirements was to have more than one wife. So he worked his way up and became a god. And as far as Brigham Young was concerned, he said, Adam is our god and the only god with whom we have to do. So um, there's a lot more that you can add to that. But that doctrine was taught in the early days of the church. In fact, there's a case where a man was actually excommunicated for not believing in that doctrine in the days of Joseph Smith.
0: So um, Let me ask you about that. So are you saying that the Adam who started human existence on planet Earth was actually God the Father Elohim.
1: Michael. He was Michael, the archangel. He was the only God that we have to do with on our world. But when you think He's about... He's the father the, of our spirits and our bodies.
0: So when you think about the, um, the narrative in the Old Testament, let's say, there's, or in traditional Mormon LDS theology, there's God the Father Elohim... There's Jesus Elohim
1: Christ. is a council of gods. He's a member of that council. Okay. Elohim is plural.
0: So in so it, the way I grew up I th- I thought of God the Father as having the name Elohim. Okay. That's not how you understand it.
1: No, it's not it's not correct if you define it. Elohim is a plural. Okay. And so that's a council of gods and Adam or Michael he was as God he was really Michael and when he came down on earth he became Adam it's a terminology thing so but what, anyway what about
0: Jesus being Jehovah in the priesthood Well
1: see I don't believe that Jesus was Jehovah that's a did, Jehovah did you, what did was Joseph a, and Brigham believe <laughs> This is it's more complicated than we'd okay. have time to go into okay. Okay. I believe that Jehovah was the Jesus on Adam's world So you've got Elohim Jehovah and Michael as one godhead and then you've got Michael or Adam and Jesus Christ and then we won't even go into the third member the godhead okay. r- which is the holy ghost but there's a man that occupies that office. So there's a dual godhead there and if you kind of picture it that way it helps to understand it but you know it would take me a half an hour sure. really to explain this so the lay member could understand it and I hate to get into it in and No, that's good.
0: Okay, so so Michael so is is Jesus the son of Michael r- correct? Who's who's also God. So how did God govern the world while living in it?
1: Well, He had a God. He had a, a, a God on His Earth, and He's the one that Michael was learning from. So when he was walking and talking in the Garden of Eden, he was talking to His God—that was God on His world. When he was a man.
0: But was was um, was Michael is was Michael who became Adam on planet Earth? Is he the God that we pray to now?
1: Well, he's the God that I pray to.
0: Okay. So but as he, but Michael, he, but as he, a God, but he lived. I in don't pray
1: to Adam when he was here on Earth. I pray to the office that he had, he held, and that he does now hold, as God of this earth.
0: But since he was brought out of the Garden of Eden and lived temporally, there had to be a time where the God of this earth was actually being a human. That's right. And maybe he had someone else helping him? Absolutely. Okay, so...
1: Yeah, his God and Jehovah of his world.
0: Okay. Who who were helping on this earth. Yeah, he had to
1: learn somehow how to do all this, how to create a world, how to start things rolling. But you know, if he was the father of our spirits, which Brigham Young said he was, why would he send somebody else down to be the father of their bodies? Those are his children. He's entitled to the right to come down after uh, fathering them as spirit children he's entitled to come down and start them with mortal bodies as well, in my view.
0: And so when he died, he was transfigured or... It's just
1: different roles of Godhead. You know, like the president of the church can also be a home teacher. Right, right, sure. Okay, so he can be God. Then part of his being God Mm -hmm. means you come down and provide mortal bodies for your children, for your spirit children.
0: Would he have had... And then
1: after you get that ball rolling, then you go back and you might take another wife. He brought Eve here, who is a mother of all living, meaning all the spirits that were here the way I understand it. Then he might have taken another wife and gone down to another world and started the ball rolling down on On another
0: another earth. And uh, would would he have been immediately resurrected upon dying? Or would his resurrection have had to happen? uh, You
1: can't be a god without being resurrected and glorified and sanctified. So he was already all that. Then by taking and eating mortal food, he became a carnal man again. And then when he quit eating mortal food, then he became a a, a god with whatever kind of body gods have, resurrected bodies.
0: So he had a body before as an exalted being. Because he
1: lived on another world of his own.
0: And this this is the last question i have. So did he have to lose his old body, get a new body? No, he
1: still has the same body. Oh, because he didn't
0: have to go through a birth process again.
1: No, no, he still has the same body.
0: That's how he showed up in the Garden of Eden.
1: It's either a mortal body or a resurrected body, which goes through whatever stages. depending upon the role that he's playing at the time.
0: And in the garden, when he talked to God, uh, and and they made He was in a
1: terrestrial state then, because we understand the garden of Eden was a terrestrial condition. When he was cast out of the garden, it was a telestial condition. So he had a, a celestial body a terrestrial body in the in the garden, and a celestial body. Then he went back to a celestial body. Do you body. think
0: he operated under a veil of forgetness uh, while he was on the earth? Well, when
1: he was cast out of the garden, he was. Remember, it was said that he you, you will forget what you've learned here.
0: Okay, so he... The
1: veil of forgetting or something.
0: So the original sin that, that non-Mormons usually call it, he, he, did, he wasn't sort of knowledgeable of all his past experiences of God. He... Had, had From that. what I
1: understand, there was a veil placed upon him so okay. that he did not know. But
0: And during his earthly years, he probably didn't know he was a Oh, god. I, th-
1: I think he had a pretty good idea okay. who he was. Okay. I, mean, but he I don't know that okay. question. Okay. I, right. that's I've never
0: actually thought about this, so yeah. I, I'm just trying to understand. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Um, so, Adam-God doctrine, and then you talked about the kingdom of...
1: Kingdom of God.
0: Kingdom, kingdom of God.
1: Of, just the kingdom, political kingdom of God. There's a kingdom of heaven, which is... The kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven on earth. It's the same type of organization, the same kingdom.
0: Okay. And, and the that means someday is, there's going to be a political entity that governs humans on the earth that's separate from man's government? Will,
1: and Christ will be over that. Christ will be over Well, he's, he is now, but we just don't see the evidence of the kingdom in, in action right now. Okay. Just like we don't see much evidence of the united order right now. There are different united orders that do exist on some level but as far as church wide or uh, any great uh, community living that there's not a sizable group that lives it right now
0: okay what about what about um the um, what about the teaching of blood atonement is that one of the 95 <coughs> ones? yeah
1: uh-huh. it's one of the things that have changed um, that was a doctrine i don't know if it was really Uh, practiced that much even in the early days, although Brigham Young said that if he ever saw a couple in bed committing adultery in the act, he he wouldn't be afraid to run a javelin through them. And the reason he said that is because by shedding their blood, he felt like that was a partial atonement for the sin that they were committing. Now, I really don't understand... uh, We did write a book on that, and I understand it to some level, but I don't know if it's really important to get into at this point. I do feel like I don't ever want to have to be the executor of that doctrine, and I'm you know, i glad I don't have to have anything to do with it, but it doesn't mean that it can't be done in a way that would benefit the victims of that. That would be the only reason that I can see doing that, that if you commit a sin that is beyond Christ's atonement, then by shedding your own blood, that would help in the atonement. In your own personal atonement. But, you know, that's another complicated thing that I don't think we have time to get okay. into. No, just
0: so, uh, a separate from early doctrine of the church, as a as a LDS person who is dealing with the modern world, there are all sorts of issues that we have to deal with um, that I'm curious to what extent you've had to deal with them and how you would come down or how the average... Fundamentals Mormon might come down on it. So I'll just list a couple and you just tell me. Okay. Uh, Birth control. Um,
1: I will speak for myself on that one. Uh, I believe that, and I never had to practice that because I always wanted the children and they just didn't come. I feel like abstinence is, for me, would be the best way of birth control. I do not, um, I would never do anything to prevent having children
0: myself. Okay. Okay. Uh, What about feminism?
1: You know, believe it or not, this is a feminist lifestyle. And I know people will take exception to that. But if you stop and think about it, the woman can have a family. She can have a career. She can go back to school, get an education. She can have time with her friends to go to dinner and a movie without family. Um, She really has, like I said before, the best of both worlds. So, in fact, I consider myself to be a feminist fundamentalist hmm. because a feminist, by definition, is anyone who is concerned about the rights and privileges of women. Well, I feel like I have every right and privilege that a woman would ever want, I mean, in my estimation, anything that I'd ever want, anyway. And I know it would be hard for a lot of women to share a husband, and that would just probably be off the charts for a lot of people. But as far as I was concerned... Um, I think uh, it's very close to being a feminist. Although I still don't feel like you should usurp the role of the father in the home. I still look to my husband and did and still do as the father in the home. And I would never want to be the leader in the home. But I want my voice to be heard and considered and appreciated Mm -hmm. and uh, kind of serve as a counselor.
0: But women in the priesthood, probably not.
1: I am not in favor of women receiving the priesthood Mm -hmm. because they already share in the blessings, the opportunities, uh, practically everything but the responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And there does come a time when she, if and when she gets her second anointing, she does get priesthood. And she is ordained a queen and a priestess in the priesthood. So there is a time when she has a a priesthood.
0: That's another doctrine we used to teach. Second
1: anointings Mm -hmm. is not taught anymore either. Yeah. Well, I understand apparently among the general authorities there are a few that have that performed, that ordinance. And it's kind of interesting because you look at the endowment today in the temple and it's a conditional promise. Mm -hmm. You're ordained to become such Mm -hmm. without going into the temple ceremony. So you're supposed to live worthy enough to have that sealed upon you, that first endowment. Well, who in the church now gets that? So they're giving the conditional promise without the sealing of the promise it's kind of interesting you know everybody's in limbo
0: <laughs> <laughs> what about it's a sensitive subject what about blacks and, and, and race as it relates to okay
1: that? and we get asked that question a lot and the reason we're one of the things that we are talking about are equal civil rights for ethnic groups religious groups we are trying to get our equal civil rights I think the blacks ought to have their equal civil rights <clears throat> excuse me um I, I don't like to discuss the religious rights because that's where we have some differences. But publicly, we, I think everybody ought to have equal civil rights.
0: Okay. Um, how about homosexuality?
1: Same there. Equal civil rights. I feel um, we are not trying to get legal marriages, legal marriage licenses. And I'm wondering, in my own way of looking at it, if a legal marriage license would be the thing that would best suit gay couples now maybe in some cases it would I feel like they ought to have legal rights as far as if there's a death they ought to have some kind of legal right in determining what is done with the deceased I have a cousin that went through this and for a whole day his partner died and for a whole day he was there with the police because he couldn't authorize removal of that body and they had been together as a couple for years and they had to wait till a blood relative came to release that body i think that's criminal mm-hmm. so i think there ought to be provisions made for them to have some kind of legal decisions visiting in the hospital or insurance or whatever but i don't know and and this is out of my realm whether or not a legal marriage license would be the th- the answer to that mm-hmm. We do not want, most of us, do not want to legalize plural marriage because we only want one legal marriage license, which would be the first one, to conform with the law. Any subsequent marriages with plural wives are married by priesthood. It's a religious ceiling. That's more important to us than any license by the government. We want to be recognized by God because we're looking at this as an eternal principle. So the important thing to us is to have it decriminalized so we aren't looked at as felons or any kind of criminals. But it's um, a religious ceiling that is the most important thing for us.
0: Um, just, just quickly, just to briefly revisit the, the race question I asked you. When Joseph Smith, you know, I learned just in the past ten years that apparently Joseph Smith ordained some black men to the priesthood.
1: He didn't ordain him, but he somebody did, uh, Zebedee Coltrane asked him about that, and um, Elijah, Abel. Elijah Abel, yeah, uh, but um, Zebedee asked him about that, and that's another long story, but Joseph Smith did say to Elijah Abel apparently, according to one account that I read, that he it was not the right time for him to receive the priesthood, but when the time came, he would be the first in line or among the first to receive it, Um so I think Joseph Smith, just like anyone else that's starting a religion or a corporation or anything else, they don't know everything at first. They learn as they go along. And I think Joseph Smith realized that um, it was done without his knowledge, apparently, with Elijah Abel. And then when they came and asked him about it, then then that's when the discussion came up. Um, so I feel like he was still learning a lot of these things as he went along.
0: So maybe, So maybe it was never... God's will that that blacks receive the priesthood. Uh, potentially, that that might be one interpretation of the history in those early um, years. In those early years, before Brigham Young made it really clear.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Without going into it in detail, I just feel like it was not the right time. Okay. But I do feel like they will get an opportunity eventually. Okay.
0: Okay. Um. So you, you mentioned something about Joseph Smith having to learn and, and maybe making some mistakes. What's, and, and we've talked about how God definitely made some changes between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then there's definitely been changes between the New Testament and the LDS Church in its early years. Mm-hmm. <coughs> how do you know what needs to be embraced as a fundamental concept and what latitude for progress and improvement can be allowed in, in God's well, church. I think
1: we touched on that earlier. If it's an eternal principle, they're unchangeable. If it's a practice or a tradition or a, so um, a work, you know, like a lot of times, uh, not a lot of times, but there is a reference that says, uh, this work is no longer required at your hands. Well, a work is not an eternal principle. And so you it's a definition of terms. You have to decide, and that's up to the individual, I guess, to decide what is an eternal principle. I mean, some of them are very clear. And what is a work or a practice or a custom? For example, um, for a while we had Sunday school in the morning on Sunday and sacrament meeting in the afternoon or evening and then Relief Society on another day of the week and primary, mutual. Well, pretty soon they came along and said, no, we want to have all the meetings on Sunday. I don't see anything wrong with that that's a work or a practice or a whatever that that's fine that's not an eternal principle i think an eternal principle is to keep the sabbath day holy and it doesn't mean whether you doesn't designate whether you do it on saturday or sunday but i think everybody if you obey the commandments you keep a day of the week holy as a sabbath day so that's to me an eternal principle whereas when you have your meetings whether it's two or three days of the week or all on a monday i don't think that's
0: that important. Okay. If uh, how do you feel about the practice of polygamy disconnected with Mormon beliefs? You talked about this a bit, but do you? Let's say that for some reason your mm-hmm. conviction about Mormonism just withered away. Would you feel then like all polygamy should should be made illegal or banned? Or, in other words, do you support polygamy? Only within the confines of a of a believing Mormon. Well, or that's
1: a, the only reason I live it is because of religious belief. But like I mentioned to you, there's many countries in the world that live it as a um, secular practice, as a tradition, um, just because it's convenient. Um, so if there were no Mormonism, I probably wouldn't live it. No, because I base that on my religious mm-hmm. conviction. Okay.
0: Or, you know, one of the things I struggle with. Um, Is knowing that my grandmother was the daughter of a of a polygamous wife that you know most of the world associates Mormon with the LDS Church, or polygamy with the LDS Church. It's our heritage. It's been taught from the rooftops by prophets of old as a requirement of salvation. Yet today, exaltation, not salvation. Salvation is universal. You're right, exaltation. And
1: people interchange those. And I just like like to make it, you, you know.
0: Thank you. But but today. When Gordon B. Hinckley is asked by Larry King what he believes about polygamy, or his views on polygamy, he he says it's not doctrinal, or it's in the past, why do we have to talk about that? And when the church puts out a press release, it, it, it really tries hard to say distance. Um, and a lot of Mormons probably, a lot of LDS people probably, uh, don't may, maybe show some discrimination or some feelings of inferiority, do you have feelings about all those things? Do you feel like no? It- I
1: can understand why President Hinckley says those things because he's speaking for the Church, and they are trying to distance themselves from polygamy in order to help the missionary effort and the proselyting. and And polygamy is a very unpopular thing in the United States, and people do have a tendency to look down on those that live it, as a general rule. And that's why we're trying to improve that image. But, so I can understand why he would say that. I, I don't know quite how he can say truthfully that it's not doctrinal because it's still in the Doctrine and Covenants. I mean, it's a doctrine, and it's in Section 132. It's a doctrine. Now, whether or not it's a doctrine they accept, or at least the practice of that, that's another thing. But um, I don't feel generally that people have looked down on me. I think if they have... As a person, it's because they don't understand the lifestyle. A lot of the people I associate even with today, well, not so much now since I've become more public, but there were a lot of people over six years ago that didn't know I was a polygamist and they they didn't look down on me for any particular reason. Um, As people found out, I think they've had, in some cases, more respect because I have been able to come out and defend a lifestyle that I feel is very dear to my heart and uh, very important in my, my life.
0: But but do you ever do you ever feel like instead of distancing themselves from you, that these of all people are the people that should be showing support, that should be you know uh, showing kindness, showing extra love, at
1: least understanding. Because of their ancestors living it.
0: But do you ever kind of think that they should be your your friends and your supporters, even though they don't choose to practice it? Do you ever wish that, that they would actually be supportive?
1: Well, sure you can wish that, but I can understand why they don't, because they have been taught for the last how many years that you follow the leader of the church. You follow the brethren. There's a whole book, Follow the Brethren. They have been taught so strongly that they should do that that they don't dare deviate from that. So if the leader of the church says we do not believe in, practice, or adhere to in any way polygamy, then they feel duty-bound in order to be a a good member of the church, to follow that advice. So in doing so, they could get in trouble by even associating with a polygamous family. And some have. So I can understand then why they have to draw the line. Because their own church membership is at stake.
0: And the leaders, what about them? What about them? (laughs) You're just just saying that that they're trying to take care of the church and make sure it's successful so you don't expect them to be more supportive.
1: Oh, no. It'll become... I anticipate that it will be decriminalized politically by the government, at least by the federal government, long before the church would ever accept it. I don't see the church ever accepting it as a tenant of their faith the way things are now. But, like the 85th section says, when it's set in order, then it will come back. But the way it is now, with the leaders we have now and the Quorum of the Twelve working their way up, I don't see any of them bringing it back. Okay. So let's talk about
0: the future. Okay. Um, What are your hopes or your dreams or your vision for um, the situation for polygamy in the United States as a citizen? And then... Um, how do you see things shaping up either with the LDS Church or just in your vision, uh, your, your doctrine and, and view for the future in terms of Christ coming again, the millennium? Talk about it. Uh, the future of polygamy as you see it and maybe would like to see it temporally and then spiritually. Okay.
1: Well, first of all, we would like to see a case go before the Supreme Court where they overturn the Reynolds decision of 1879, which removes a lot of the stigma of living it. Uh, then by, of course, I realize it's the states that make laws about marriage for each state. So we can't expect the federal government to say, okay, it's decriminalized. That is the job of the states, the way the laws are set up. But by overturning Reynolds, that opens the door for the states to decriminalize it. So as far as the political thing, that's what what I'd like to see, and I'd like people in the United States to understand it better, to remove the stigma from it, to understand that this is a viable alternative lifestyle, that we're about families, we're not trying to um, cheat the government basically out of welfare. If we're recognized and, and we don't have to worry about losing jobs, I think we can support our families better. Um, but if you have to keep it quiet and don't tell anybody at work that you're a polygamist because you might lose your job, then your your financial income is in jeopardy. So I think all in all, if it's the stigma is removed from it federally, then that would help a lot. I'd like to see that. As far as the church goes, like I say, I don't anticipate any changes that way, but I would like to see the members of the church at least understand it to the degree that they don't look down their noses, keep their children from playing with polygamous children. We're not out to convert anybody. Really, we aren't. We just want to be able to live it quietly or at least be accepted in our choice to live it so um i don't care if the church doesn't accept it as a tenant because most of us are out of the church anyway and we recognize the difference between the gospel and the church the gospel principles like i say are eternal and they can exist separate from the church the church can accept or reject those principles so um that's the important thing to me, is to realize that I can still live the gospel principles without the church. Even though I enjoyed it while I was there, it can be done, as long as you have the priesthood to perform the ordinances that are necessary. So um, that's pretty much the way I see it in the as, future.
0: As a precursor to the millennium, How do you, do you see God rising, raising up a new prophet and starting a new church again? No, uh, he
1: said he would never... Um, never do that that it would be set in order but it doesn't mean you have to start all over from the beginning but i do feel like new individuals will have to take the leadership roles because i don't see the ones we have now changing so our my understanding of the setting in order is joseph smith coming back and calling men that have been tried and tested and will remain true to these eternal principles um, calling them to the positions to go forth. The, I can't remember where the sta- saying came from uh, that regarding the setting in order. First, it would be the church, then the state, and then the nation. So you have to have a nucleus to work with. So the church or the kingdom of God will be set in order first, and then it will spread from there.
0: And I, I know I, I sense that you're a, a, a modest woman, but I'll just I'll just ask you because I'm curious. Do you see when Christ's coming? maybe having a special place in his heart for those who had the courage to live the principle um, in in spite of all the adversity?
1: No more than anybody else that lives as principle as best as they can. Um, for some reason I feel like we are doing what the Lord wants us to do right now, but there's other women that are to be just as capable if not more so. It's just that the risk was too great and The three of us that wrote the book felt very strongly impressed to do it and that kind of opened the doors for what followed but i don't anticipate i just will be lucky as anything if i can just have a little niche somewhere in the (laughs) celestial kingdom (laughs) i certainly hope for that because um i i don't want to spend eternity without my husband and in order for me to be with him i i feel like the only marriages in heaven are plural marriages i don't think there's any monogamous marriages so in order for me to be with him, um, we have to have a plural marriage.
0: And if you had a closing statement, you can call it a testimony or a, a wish or an aspiration. You've got at least 3,000 people listening mm-hmm. and, and watching you at this point. What would you like to leave us with as your parting words or, or thoughts or feelings or testimony?
1: Um, I, I just am very grateful to the Lord I wasn't expecting this. Um,
2: Let's see. I am very grateful that I live at a time when I can live this principle and only hope that I have done it honorably. I'm grateful to be a voice in defense of it. But there's so much more to the gospel than just plural marriage. And that's what I try to live as well. And be an example. And I'm grateful for the wonderful friends that I have made in in the journey. I have met so many wonderful women. I just um, am amazed at their courage and valiancy and testimonies. And feel privileged to associate with them. That's it.
0: Well, Anne Wilde, it is a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, coming on Mormon Stories. It's a pleasure to meet you.
2: Thank you. Sorry for the emotion.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, no worries at all. Thank you very much. This program has been a production of Mormon Stories Podcast. To comment on this episode or to peruse the archives of past episodes, please visit us online at mormonstories.org. Also, please consider supporting Mormon Stories Podcast by making a contribution today or by voting for this episode at dig.com and sustained.org. Thanks again for listening.